we roped up at the foot of the difficult crack. This time it was clear of ice, warm, dry rock in the afternoon sun. Don made short work of it. The Hinterstwasser traverse was also clear, a steep, holdless slab with a rope stretched across it. It was my turn to lead. I treated the rope cautiously, for who could tell how long it had been there? Another pitch, and we reached the swallow's nest, a ledge about eighteen inches wide at the side of the first ice field. We cleared some ice from it and settled down for the night, full of confidence as we now felt on peak form, and the face seemed in perfect condition. We couldn't lie down on the ledge, but were fairly comfortable, sitting crouched close together. From time to time we had a brew, chatted for a few minutes, dozed off. But at midnight, Don asked me, Can you hear all the running water? Even the bloody stones are still falling. You know, it can't be freezing up there. It might do in the early hours of the morning, I suggested. For the rest of the night, we waited for it to start freezing, so that the stones in the upper part of the face would be held safely in position in the clasp of the ice. But the gentle trickle of falling water interspersed with the distant rattle of stones continued. In the dawn, there were a few wisps of cloud to the west. I don't like the look of the weather, said Don. If we push on now, we're going to get stonefall all the way up the face. It's just not worth it. I've no desire to give the papers a sensational story. We could go up just a bit, I suggested. The weather might improve. What's the point? That's how half the accidents occur on the Eiger, with people pushing on just a bit farther, not knowing when to go back. We can always come back next year. Don's argument was conclusive, and a sign of his prudence as a mountaineer. We packed up our gear and started the long trek down. Although we'd only been 1,500 feet up the face, the reporters were waiting for us in force. We spent the night in Alpiglen, and the next day I booked an air passage back to England. I should get back with a night to spare. The weather now seemed to be more settled, and I longed to wait out for just a little longer. I half envied Don his freedom. He was staying out for a few more weeks, but I was obsessed with the importance of starting my new job on time, of creating the right impression. Just as we were ready to leave Alpiglen, a tourist rushed into the hotel. I have seen someone fall from the mountain, he shouted incoherently. At first we didn't believe him, but felt we had to go and just make sure, so plodded back towards the foot of the Eiger. We saw someone wave and walked over to a self-important German tourist. The body is over there, he announced proudly. We walked hesitantly, averting our eyes. Neither of us wanted to look, as we held the blanket we had brought up with us, ready to cover the corpse. We had a vague impression of blood and naked limbs twisted into grotesque shapes. The clothes had been torn to shreds in the fall, but skin is a tough covering, then dropped the blanket over it. The German was hovering at our side. He lifted the blanket with the flourish of a showman to show us how the head had been bashed in. I could have killed him at that moment. I couldn't help feeling that here was the fascination of the Eigerwand, the thing that makes the crowds gaze through the telescopes when someone is in trouble on the face. 
the thing that makes the Eiger front-page news. We went in search of the dead man's companion, but could only find the odd trace of blood. He could not possibly have survived anyway, for he must have fallen from the crest of the Mitteleji Ridge, five thousand feet above. We decided to leave it to the guides and returned to Alpiglen.